Welcome to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. I'm Katie Mulligan, Editor-in-Chief of ACG's magazine, Middle Market Growth. The episode you're about to hear is part one of my interview with Matt Petrucci of Plant Moran and Brett Holcomb of Prospect Partners. Our conversation explored the role of private equity firms and their advisors in the lower middle market, and specifically how they work with business owners. Here's my conversation with Matt and Brett. Brett and Matt, thanks for joining me. Thanks for having us. So can you both give a brief overview of your respective firms and how Plate Moran and Prospect work together? Sure. Uh, I'll start. Um, so I'm Matt Petrucci. I'm a partner in Plant Moran's Transaction Advisory Services team. Uh, Plant Moran's been around uh, since 1924, is one of the largest audit, tax, consulting, wealth management uh, firms in the U.S., serving um, clients in a number of markets and industries. Um, throughout our 95-year history, we've been focused on serving middle market, lower middle market companies, uh, which have traditionally been uh, family-owned businesses, but um, certainly over the last 20 years, a growing number are now private equity-owned businesses. Uh, so as of today, we're serving um, 500 different private equity-owned portfolio companies and serving about 400 different private equity groups. Great. And I'm Brett Holcomb with Prospect Partners. We're a Chicago-based lower middle market private equity firm. We really look to partner with strong management teams in niche businesses. We've been doing private equity for the last 20 or so years. We manage three funds totaling about $470 million in assets under management, have completed about 150 deals as a firm since we came together. You know, we work with Matt and his team on two main areas, one on with transaction advisory service side, which is helping us with due diligence, both buy side and sell side due diligence, as well as on the audit side, once we're involved with our portfolio companies, Matt and Plant Moran and their team in general will help us. Uh, through audits, will help us with opening balance sheets and you know a number of different accounting tax-related items. And at a high level, maybe starting with you, Brett, what role do private equity investors play in the lower middle market? You know, it, it, I'll start with the standard caveat, which is it depends. We like to be thought of as a true partner for our team. So we operate up at the board level. We're not management. We don't try to be management in any of our teams, uh, but really be thought of as partners. We get as many inbound calls from our management teams at the end of the day or end of the week as we give outbound calls. We love it when a team calls and says, hey, remember this customer we've been working on landing? We finally landed that customer. Uh, or you know, the flip side is, remember, we were worried that something may happen. Well, it looks like that may happen. What are your thoughts? How can we work together to work our way through this? So you know, true partners with the team there. You know, we do spend our time at the board level in probably four or five key areas. Spend a lot of time around the organization and helping our teams think through uh, hiring, recruiting CEOs, CFOs, sales teams, uh, you know, HR compliance, helping them set metrics and the like. So you know, organization is a big area. We spend time, a lot of time on growth strategy. A lot of times the first, you know, the first time we are involved uh, will be the first time our teams have put together a five-year plan or have worked together, uh, you know, not just working in the business, but working on the business. So helping with strategic planning, add-on execution, integration, and the like. Spend a lot of time on operations, helping stuff with, you know, Asian sourcing, labor force management. We may talk about that a little bit later today, but an area we're spending a lot of time right now. Uh, lean manufacturing, purchasing, et cetera. And again, just helping formulate strategies and think through the different areas and how we've tackled them at other portfolio companies. Uh, on governance and working through you know, board meetings, how to go about setting and planning 
uh, it's lining incentives, compensation plans, board package, audits, and advisors, how to work with them. Uh, and then last but not least on capital structure, making sure we have the right mix of debt and equity to really go after add-on acquisitions, go after organic growth opportunities, and, and make sure that we've got the right lending partner for the right company. Yeah, and as, as Brett said, the role can um, depend on the specifics of the transaction, the needs of the current owner, uh, where the company is from a strategy and life cycle perspective. Um, you know, groups like Prospect can simply be an exit strategy for a business owner looking to completely step away from the business or uh, be a partner for that owner who wants to stay involved and, and help take the business to the next level by providing some of the things that Brett talked about, certainly capital, strategic planning, additional focus on geographical expansion and on acquisitions and even adding additional products and services. And Matt, Matt makes a good point. There are, you know, every firm has a different philosophy. About two thirds of our deals tend to be recap deals where the management team, the current team will own a big chunk of the business going forward. We'll also do corporate carve outs and, you know, other sorts of transactions, but we're big believers in having our teams own a large chunk of the business. We want to make sure that our incentives are aligned from the very beginning. We're working forward together and when we go to exit we're exiting together so it's important for us to make sure that partnership is really strong we set that up from day one and, and try to continue that through the end of our our personal ownership period and let's talk about what some of that looks like in practice maybe starting with uh, business development and add-on acquisitions how have you helped companies in in those areas you know you kind of break it into three different chunks you know the first would be around sourcing uh, the second around execution and the third around integration and, and to kind of touch briefly on each of these. You know, it's interesting on the sourcing side. When we first get involved with the platform company, we frequently find well, that find that competitors in the industry will talk to us when maybe they won't have talked to our management teams over time. Huh. And so the idea that we can begin developing these relationships at the outset, we can be the new guys in the industry, huh. we can spend time getting to know folks. And you know, whether it's just a personal relationship or lack of relationship that's built up, you know, on the management team side, mm -hmm. whether it's just curiosity about, you know, why private private equity came into this industry and, and what our thesis was for the industry. But a lot of times our phone calls will get returned and management will say, gee, we had tried talking to those folks for years and they never really answered our huh. calls. The flip side is also true, by the way. You know, folks will wanted to build a relationship up with the management team and say, I get a lot of investors calling me day in, day, day in and day out, not really interested in talking to an investor, but if you're operating a company, would love to talk to you. So the yin and yang with our partnership and our teams is really important there. And, uh, and it's part of how we help on the sourcing side. We try to do it right away because you never know how long these are going to take. I mean, Matt can, I'm sure, tell you stories. Uh, in fact, he and I worked on a deal and add-on we closed out in the Salt Lake City market uh, probably three or four months ago. We'd begun talking to that business owner four years prior. Wow. And so it took four years of conversation uh, to finally get to the point where he was comfortable engaging in a transaction. And that's okay. These things take time. You know, I think what we have found is there's no point in rushing those conversations that, you know, they need to operate in their own cadence and their own their own rhythms there. So, you know, we like to get involved. We like to really dig in and, and help our teams and be additive on the sourcing side. You know, on the execution side, you know, that's kind of our bread and butter. That's where mm -hmm. we spend our days, day in and day out. And so that's, you know, obviously the valuation part is a key component to that and helping our teams understand, you know, broadly speaking within a market, here's what the metrics are, here's where valuations are. Part of it's not just valuation, but a lot of the terms, you know, what is the target looking for? What matters to them? 
you know, really important that my son continues to have a job with the company going forward or really important to understand the cultural side and how your firm looks at it versus other firms. So, you know, valuation and structure, the quantitative side is important, but some of the softer stuff is really important as well. And, you know, there's the legal documents and working with the lenders to get the deal done and coordinating with Matt and his team on the diligence side. So, you know, within the execution side, a number of different areas that we can help with. Uh, and then last but not least is integration. That's obviously where the hard work begins. In some ways, you know, finding the deal, executing on the deal, all that matters. But ultimately, you know, as shareholders, what, value, what matters most to us in the end is have you successfully integrated? Is it a key part of the business going forward? And working through an integration plan with our team uh, is an area where we've got a lot of expertise and, you know, the plant brand team, and I'm sure Matt can talk about that, does a lot on integration planning and integration execution. Yeah, and certainly, um, you know, getting the deal done can be very challenging, but as you alluded to, Brett, many acquisitions fail to live up to their potential uh, as a result of sort of poor planning around the integration side of things and certainly around the integration issues. So it could be cultural issues or just changes in process approach. Um, and, and certainly um, bringing two companies together, even when you guys are doing add-ons, um, finding companies that are similarly, similarly aligned, even at a high level, can help avoid some of those issues with big changes. Uh, but even discussing some of the differences that might take place post-closing, discussing those things in advance of closing the transaction can go a long way in helping to avoid some of those issues. But as you said, I think developing and executing a successful and effective 100-day plan uh, for the post-closing integration is critical um, and some of the things that you alluded to, right? The, the plan should always address ways to keep management, man, the management team together, uh, getting them focused on, on generating value post-closing and whether that's through uh, equity incentive plans or other compensation plans and, and things of the like. But certainly, selfishly speaking, accounting should always be um, a strong focus, even just to get everybody on the same page in terms of truing up the working capital adjustments right. or if there's a, a earn out calculation that needs to be done, getting all of that ironed out uh, as early as possible, again, just really helps to avoid uh, disagreements that, that sort of distract everybody from, from generating the value that you guys are hoping to see. And then also just leveraging some of the other data gathered during the diligence phase, whether it could be resolving any tax disputes or legal issues that were identified and getting those done as quickly as possible is, is a big factor. Well, you know, a lot of times our teams are looking to us to help drive a lot of these add-on acquisitions. A lot of times they've never done one in the past. So we've closed about 50 platform companies over mm -hmm. our history, another 100 add-on acquisitions. So we've had some companies where you'll do 15 or 20 add-ons along the way. We've got others where you'll go grow entirely via organic growth, but frequently a team is looking for that support and guidance in getting through these add-on acquisitions. And, and you know, they want to spend their time doing what they do best, which is growing the business, running the business. And so, you know, guys like Matt, guys like us, the folks like us, it's important that we allow our teams to spend their time doing what they like to do. Uh, and we're able to kind of help leverage our knowledge and, and our history of doing this. In, in, in multiple different contexts in different industries. Which is often why, certainly the, the in the lower middle market, in, in the entrepreneurs that you partner with, sometimes that's why they're looking for a partner, right. right? Because they're now getting pulled away and distracted from the things that they like to do and they're 
now focused on accounting and human resources, like all of the boring stuff. Yep. <laughs> and they want somebody to come in and, and help take that off their plate so they can focus on those things. And someone who's seen a ton of these transactions has known mm-hmm. where they've gone wrong in the past can kind of spot some of those pitfalls in advance. Yeah. Whereas if you're brand new to doing something like this, I imagine you might not know where to start. You might not know yep. what to look for. We, yeah. we get asked a question a lot, you know, do you, are there particular industries you specialize in? And, and you know, obviously a lot in private equities move towards industry specialization mm-hmm. and there's different philosophies around that. You know, by and large, we see a lot of commonality among size, not amongst industry. In the low mid market is you're trying to get a company from three, four, five, six million of EBITDA up to 10 to 15 million of EBITDA. There's a lot of growing pains, a lot of challenges you're gonna encounter that are similar across industries. And, and we really view that as our role, which is we've got scars on our back from having seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. And we try to help leverage that knowledge with our teams over mm-hmm. time there. And that's the value add amongst them that we're bringing is having seen this in the past and having dealt with these issues. Always better to learn from somebody else's mistakes. Right, absolutely. Yeah. Um, let's talk about back office functions. What role do investors and advisors play in helping company improve their, their back office? Yeah, I think as we, we just discussed, a lot of this does start with the 100-day plan. Um, and as Brett was just alluding to, a common trait we see in the lower middle market uh, is companies that, that have the need to build out the, the finance function, implement accounting policies and procedures, create a robust internal control framework, improve efficiency and timeliness for month-end and year-end reporting, um, begin to prepare forecasts and budgets, uh, and implementing any of the cost savings that have been identified up to this point. Also taking a look at the, the current IT systems that are in place, um, are they the right solution for the business today? And then even thinking through the next five to 10 years, is that system that's in place now something that could add value to the company, add more value to the company today, but also grow with the company uh, over these next few years? Um, what are the risks and threats associated with that current IT system that should be addressed? In short, really just making sure that the IT strategy is aligned with the overall company strategy. You know, from, from our perspective, we, we see this almost every time we get involved. And so, you know, for any entrepreneurs out there, you're not alone. I think, you know, most companies that have, uh, you know, grown and grown quickly over time, you know, need to prioritize. Management's wearing a lot of different hats in a lot of different areas. They need to prioritize certain areas. And a lot of times, you know, the, the broadly speaking back office function, the accounting and finance function tends to be one that's been under invested in. So yeah, I think we, we serve a couple roles. One, you, we help bring these best practices. Right now we've got a portfolio of 16 companies, but again, we've looked at about 150, we've closed 150 deals. We're able to kind of leverage that knowledge and say, here's what we've seen that works and doesn't work. And, and sometimes it's, it's somewhat counterintuitive. It may be saying, listen, you don't need to go with the most expensive IT or accounting package out there. That This package will do just fine, will allow us to grow to that next level down the road. Don't worry about getting you know stuck or sucked into a certain you know view that you got to go with the gold package when silver or bronze will be okay. And then other mm-hmm. times it's encouraging them you know to spend the money. We know we're going to be here in a couple of years. Let's really make sure we've got a system in place today that we can kind of scale and leverage over time. Um, you know, part of what we do is help show management the value that comes from a strong back office, and it's not always readily apparent. It, it's stuff like you know the ability to have deeper insights into the business than they do today and helping point out how those insights can drive revenue growth, can drive cost savings, can drive increased cash flow, and really focusing on those areas of the business. 
Uh, it's helping them understand how a back office and a better invested in back office can scale an organization or allow an organization to scale over time, allow them to more quickly integrate the add-on acquisitions mm -hmm. that we talked about earlier. Uh, and then ultimately allows the team to kind of quickly focus on their highest and best use of time. If our CEO is great at selling, for him to be, you know, also worrying about the numbers and, and dealing with, you know, HR or accounting related issues may not be his or her highest use of time. Maybe she should be focused in a particular sales role as CEO. As we have the strong back office function, they can be, you know, serving as that right hand individual and, and really be helping drive that piece of the business. So, you know, when we go to exit a business, inevitably there's going to be more folks sitting on the other side of the table than when we first enter the business. Management team will be deeper. We'll have added folks over time uh, and, and the back office function tends to be the first one to get added to during our investment period. Yeah, and it's certainly looking at all the change that needs to take place and figuring out what to prioritize and, and how quickly to change things. Because again, for a smaller organization, that could be crippling if you're changing too many things at once. And so staging things and, and as Brett said, getting the right people on the bus at the right time will really help that company accept that change and, and really even start to see the value of it, even as early as throughout the diligence process as my team and Brett's team go in to start to look at the company often we're able to extract information out of their system and start to analyze the company in a way that maybe that business owner has never really done before. He's never looked at his own business that way because it's more frequent than not that at the end of our diligence process, sometimes the, the business owner, again, who's owned this business for decades sometimes, will be like, wow, that was great. To me, it's the biggest compliment when they say it was fun, but, <laughs> but that's a rare but, compliment. But sometimes they'll be like, wow, I learned a lot about my business that I didn't already know. Huh. Somehow you guys over the matter of weeks have been able to come in and just break things down and just present information in a way that they've never thought about. So it starts to make them more hungry for that data, as mm -hmm. Brett was saying, to, to start to implement some of those systems where they can start to look at the business in a different way to make sure that the decisions they're making sort of are the right one. Well, in, in most businesses we work with, and, and I presume a lot of the businesses MAP works with, are still founder and entrepreneur-led mm -hmm. businesses, mm -hmm. and so you know they've kind of grown up within a uh, you know within a certain mindset or have been self-taught and self-learned. And man, they've done an amazing job. It's why I love what I do. You get to step in and kind of see businesses that have been created from ground up. You get to meet and work with entrepreneurs to build some really neat businesses over time. Mm -hmm. But they don't have this broad, you know, this broad knowledge base of different industries to pull from. And right. so, you know, when someone like Matt or when someone like we can step in and say, hey, have you ever thought about it from this direction or that direction? A lot of times that's enough of a spark yeah. to start moving off in a direction and say, we haven't, but that's really interesting. And let's push down that path. And, and it's part of what makes a transaction a natural point to begin thinking through some of these changes. They've gone through a diligence process. It's been tiring, you know, it's been a long process. We try to work through it as quickly and efficiently as we can. But coming out of that process, there's a lot of great ideas for change, a lot of opportunities and different paths you can go down. 
uh, which is a lot of fun. And speaks to a comment you made in the beginning of really partnering with these companies, not coming in and saying, do X, Y, and Z, but hey, have you thought about this or could we try this? That's, we don't have a playbook. I mean, every, mm-hmm. every one of our businesses is a unique business with unique challenges, mm-hmm. right? So the idea that we're going to come in and start dictating a playbook I think is crazy. There are other firms that believe in a playbook and they think that you can kind of roll everything out cookie cutter. We don't believe that. We strongly believe you got to work with each of your teams. You got to create and you got to spend time understanding exactly where they want help, where they need help, how we can help, and then, you know, begin gradually rolling that out over time there. And, and you do that and you've suddenly found, you look back over three or four years or five years and say, wow, we've accomplished a lot over this period of time but it's very different than what you would have done with a different company, right? Mm-hmm. And it's led you down a very different path. And, you know, we even see that on the diligence side. I mean, there, there are times when Matt and I will have a conversation and say, all right, here's where we think we need to focus in due diligence. Uh, and then, you know, two weeks in, Matt will call and say, you know, I think we gotta be spending some time in this area. And it leads you down, it leads you down a different path. So you gotta be able to react and adapt quickly. But if you're coming in with that partnership mentality, that you know, you're working together, whether it's we're working as partners with plant, we're working with our management teams or our lenders, but you come in with that partnership mentality, uh, that can really that can really pay off in spades. Again, different than our reputation, you know, broadly the private equity reputation out there, they're gonna come in and dictate stuff from day one. Likely some firms that will do that, but not what we found the uh, you know, the best use. In, uh, in driving companies forward. What about help with capital structure? How do prospect partners and Plant Marin work with companies in that regard? Sure. I, you know, first, we spend a lot of time at the outset, and again, this happens during due diligence, a lot of it, Matt, is working with us on as well, trying to understand what are the unique elements of this business that would partner well with a certain capital structure. Mm-hmm. So much like every diligence process isn't created equal, much like every company isn't created equal, we take a look at matching up on the capital structure side, both with types of lenders and with the ratio of debt and equity and making sure that we've got the right solution mm-hmm. for every company. So stuff that matters, capital intensity, how capital intensive is the business, that will impact the amount of debt you can put on a company versus the amount of equity. Uh, we take a look at the amount of CapEx, is it high CapEx business, a low CapEx business? We try to understand working capital, the working capital intensity, how much free cash flow is available to the business as the business is looking to grow and execute on its growth plans. We also take a look at on where we think we'll need to invest into the business. Are we going to invest right away? Is the company planning to you know wait a period of time before it starts to move, either geographically, do add-on acquisitions, uh, whatever the case may be, but really understand the investment cadence and timeline around that. Uh, and also understand what their growth strategy may be. Is this a buy and build growth strategy? Is this an organic growth strategy? So spend a lot of time learning and digesting mm-hmm. upfront on the right sort of business. Uh, and then we spend a lot of time educating our teams on what the different capital structure alternatives may be. And again, a lot of our teams at the outset have likely had a philosophy in the past of you know get out of the bank and stay out of the bank. I borrowed some money when I first did this deal. I paid it all back. I'm really scared to borrow money. It's just not huh. something I've done in the past. Okay. Or, you know, we do it, but we've always had personal guarantees. So now there are no more personal guarantees in their business. And what does that change for them? What does that change in a capital structure? So we spend a lot of time on the educating piece. You know, there's different terms, there's different pricing, there's different amortization, there's different, uh, you know, attributes associated with different lenders and how they react when times are good and times are bad. So mm-hmm. again, we listen. We educate, 
And then it's a matchmaking process. And sure. we've got a number of lenders that we've worked closely with. We truly believe our lenders are close partners and mm-hmm. we have to work with them as partners. Again, different funds, different philosophies. Ours are, we should establish good relationships with our lending partners. We should treat them as we want to be treated with respect to knowledge and you know information flow and the like and make sure they're included everywhere they want to be included and then match our teams up with those lenders and try to have relationships up and down within the lending organization, not just one individual there and make sure that we've got a comfort level across the relationship. Because, you know, as Matt will tell you, within the lower middle market, the one thing that's true is it's never a straight line from point A to point B. There's going to be ups and downs along the way and you need to make sure that you have a capital structure that can support that but also lending partners that can support that and invest into it. Hmm. And we take the time up at the, at the outset to work with our teams and make sure they understand the different alternatives that are out there. And is some of that meeting a management team in the middle if they're you know really not comfortable with being on debt? And- Absolutely. I, we're, we're big believers in sleep at night. And yeah. so for us, you know, we're not looking. And I think part of this is just a function of our deal sizes. Part of it is just who we are as a firm. We're not looking for that last quarter turn of leverage or that last 25 basis points of pricing. You know, what we're really looking for is someone that we could partner with on the lending side and work with our teams and help educate them along the way. Mm-hmm. So it's it's absolutely working with the teams. We're not over leveraging our deals. And, and to be truthful, in the lower middle market, you know, those terms aren't as crazy as they've gotten in the bigger companies that are out there. Sure. So, you know, I, I think where we see capital structure today is there's a lot more lenders involved lending to the lower middle market companies is not that the terms have changed all that dramatically, but it, it's it's an important thing to think about. It's important to spend time with the teams and making sure they're comfortable with the ultimate decision who you're going with. Yeah, because I think because of the, the lending environment and the, the, the economy that we're in, you know, groups like yourself, like you have to you have to stay disciplined, right? Because sure. sometimes the lenders out there will give you maybe more debt on the deal in, in funding that part of the purchase price than you guys might want, right? To help you sleep better at night. So I think, you know, staying disciplined and, and sometimes turning away some of that debt to, to put in the right capital structure um, certainly is important even in today's economy, but trying to think through what the, the business might look like in a recession and getting in front of that now, I think, is, is very important. I think you guys have done a really nice job with that. Well, appreciate it. You know, again, it's important for folks to understand and, and this is where we spend a lot of time educating our teams. Not all debt is created equal. So it's to simply, you know, draw an arbitrary line and say, I'm worried about debt above this level or I want this amount of equity in a deal. You need to peel that back a little bit more and really take the time to understand, well, well, why is that? All right, I'm really scared that having this much amortization on the business is going to impact me. Okay, well, mm. maybe there's a lender that is a little higher in pricing, but the amortization is lower. And mm-hmm. so that's ultimately what you're concerned about. Let's really work through this. We're viewing our capital structure as being a good foundation to help grow a business over a period of time. We're not trying to financial engineer. We're not trying to play games with the capital structure. It's Mm -hmm. a good foundation upon which you can grow your companies over time. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Middle Market Growth Conversations podcast. Check out part two of my interview with Matt and Brett, where we talk about the role of private equity firms and their advisors in helping a lower middle market company preserve its culture. I also asked them about the trends they're watching that they expect will impact this segment of the market. Please also subscribe to the podcast in Apple Podcasts or Google Play and leave a review to help other listeners find out about us. And look out for the next episode in two weeks.